We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know, and sometimes the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We're here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truth behind it. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully, the justice that was ultimately delivered. Midwest murder. Midwest murder. Hi, Jonah Lanto. Hello, Don Palumbo. What are people saying about Midwest murder? Don, I'm ex- I'm kind of excited to share the excitement that that people are 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 saying about no, Midwest it's so murder. Cool. It's, 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 it's smiling. It's, it's so cool. I'm, I'm 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 raving with excitement over how people are are talking about us, and we really do appreciate all of you. So Mary Kay and Angela, perfect in every way. This podcast is great. The story cover the stories covered so far are very interesting. It's always interesting to hear about crimes committed in other states. Perhaps our favorite thing about this podcast would be that the hosts have no annoying vocal tics. There's no up talk. The hosts don't smack their lips and they don't stutter. That's a huge plus for us. All in all, the podcast is great and we're so excited to be able to watch it grow and get more recognition. Wow. Well, now awesome? I'm, well, that's like super cool, but now I'm going to be super self-conscious about this. <laughs> Thanks be, guys. <laughs> yeah. Big, big, big time. Thank you on that. Uh, an, an, another quick one here from Kayla Pachelski. Sorry, Polchuski. Sorry, Kayla. Uh, the true crime podcast we've all been looking for. True crime is a genre that is a genre that has definitely gained recent popularity and brought a lot of people to the podcast world, me included. I've explored many different podcasts, looking for one that stands out above the rest. I didn't need to look any further when I found Midwest Murder. Don and Jonah do an amazing job telling stories of these very intriguing local murders so thank you kayla uh thank you everybody for cool thanks guys that's awesome all of you guys that are helping midwest murder trend on itunes keep rating keep reviewing keep sharing the show we really do appreciate you guys also a big shout out to the talented writers uh recorders and creators of our intro music that's eric michael anderson written by and recorded in conjunction with doctors eric and diana anderson and a shout out to midwest murder no we are midwest we are but the Midwest Murder logo, yes. which we love, which is totally bitchin', was created by Nomad Design House. If you need graphic design work, logos, or any other such awesome things, you can contact Nomad Design House. They're on Facebook and super easy to work with. Really, really, really creative, talented, and imaginative graphic designer. So uh, big thanks again to them, to the the Andersons for recording our music, and to all of you for supporting Midwest Murder and giving us those rates, reviews, subscribes on iTunes. Oh, it's another one. Here we are. Here we are again. All right. On this episode of Midwest Murder, we're going to take you to Fargo, North Dakota in 1993. 93. 93. It was a good year. Yeah. In one of North Dakota's largest cities, a city of approximately 80,000 people, um, it sits within just a couple of miles of the Minnesota border. And it's, it's kind of, uh, for those of you not familiar with the area, it's hard to tell where North Dakota ends and Minnesota begins. Uh, they definitely overlap. If you blink, you can miss the sun. Basically, the Fargo-Moorhead area is what they refer to it as. It's also, um, Fargo is also home to one of the largest universities in the state um, that's known for its agriculture, um, engineering, pharmaceutical sciences programs. Uh, So, you know, definitely a lot going on in the area. In 1993, Bill Clinton had just taken the office of the president, of course. It was the year of Waco and David Koresh, the first World Trade Center bombing that happened in February. Um, Montreal Canadiens had just defeated the LA Kings to win the Stanley Cup that June. And uh, super, you know, big news, of course, um, at the time was an executive order was uh, was signed and, and required U.S. Air Force to allow women to fly war plane, warplanes. Wow. I said 1993. Yeah. Women can fly. Yeah. Thank you so much. They can, they're, they're finally allowed to do it. Yeah. And I guarantee you some some 
empty suit was bitching about how much it would cost to fit a, an airplane for the size of a woman and right and like, and we you know we can't find directions anywhere how can we fly a plane oh yeah just well, it's well, annoying that's why women weren't astronauts initially was Seriously? because this this the, the suit size the suit size on like was was built for men for, i mean ultimately sure. obviously it happened right. in the 80s but at least in the in the initial it took it took like a fight it took an argument for a woman who really wanted to be an astronaut to get them to justify. So anyways. Yeah, that's a, it's so dumb. Um, Janet Jackson in 1993 was topping the charts for months with her sweet comeback album that I probably still to this day know every word to. Um, Snow was on the charts for some reason with their song Informer. Informer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think... Boom, boom, down. That's all. That's, <laughs> I think that's all they like say. That. Um, and uh, I think the Snow. we were all wearing incredibly baggy clothing. And uh, and then I know I was staying up late to watch the R&B hour on VH1 in 93. Probably well like past you, my bedtime. You, I was staying up watching USA Up All Night. Gilbert oh, Gottfried. Yeah. That was a big deal back oh, then. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's childhood. Um, so... You know, all of the cases that we talk about on this podcast are obviously horrific and full of loss for the family and friends of the victims. And sometimes they're difficult to even recount the details. And this is one of those cases. So I, I want to warn you um, as, as listeners, just even more than we normally do in our intro, that this one is especially heinous. This episode is going to go into detail about the hor- horrific crimes against Gina Dale North and two other child victims of sexual abuse. So mm. there's uh, there's the disclaimer and the warning Um it is. Uh, I don't think any of our episodes are for child's ear, children's ears, but this one is uh, definitely not. So uh, Gina Dale North was born to John and Sue North on December 12, 1981, and one of three daughters. Her family called her by her nickname, Cobby. Uh, she was just a, a nervous little girl, had a nervous little energy, um, but always had a smile ready. She was a beautiful, blonde hair, blue-eyed 11-year-old who was doing the things that, that most of us were doing at, the age, at that age in the 90s, uh, enjoying the heck out of summer, hanging out with friends, and uh, excited that school was out. Yeah. So on the date of June 29th, 1993, Gina North and her friends were enjoying an evening swim at one of Fargo's pools and were picked up by Gina's father, John, at about 9 p.m. and headed for their neighborhood. So Gina asked if, because of that, um, Gina asked if she could stay out past her curfew to rollerblade with her friends just a little longer. And since we in our area, uh, well, in the summertime, at least, we stay late or light very late. Yeah, it's it, it, for for a lot of folks listening, like nine o'clock, pitch black. No, in, no. in North Dakota <laughs> in, the, in the summertime, it, yeah, it's it's light out even even in the middle of the night. Like the the moon shines so brightly here. And sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the pool closing at eight forty five. Your parents are picking you up by nine. Uh, we were running around in our neighborhood late. Yeah, because the streetlights yeah, weren't on street, yet. Street, yeah. Yeah. So because of that, uh, John agreed since it was it was still light out and, and told her to be home by 1030. The girls then headed out on their adventure, uh, stopping along the way to chat with a neighbor who was working on his pickup. It was getting close to their extended curfew and, and towards the end of their evening. So the girls decided to grab some snacks at Stop and Go, which is a convenience store near their homes. So stopping near a friend's house on the corner, they after they'd, they'd gotten their snacks, they said goodnight. Uh, and then the friend even asked Gina if her mother should watch her head home or walk her home. And since it was just down the street, Gina said that she'd be fine. The the corner, you know, it's your neighborhood. Of course you're fine. Right? You, you've, you've been skating around all night. You, you're you a, a block or whatever away from your house. Yeah. You, yeah, you, I, you know the lay of the land. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all did. And so uh, the corner that the girls said goodnight on was only 120 feet away from Gina's home. So she's good. She's not. Her mom doesn't need to watch. So Gina skated off towards home and uh, left her shoes in her pal's yard. So probably just going to grab those the next day or whatever. I mean, how, how 120 feet? 120 feet. What's that? Uh, 20 yards? I mean... Three feet yards. to a yard. I'm just trying to. Yeah. I'm trying to place that in my head. Like, what's a football field? What's a football field? So that's like what walking from the backside. Of, but the, the, if you parked at the very end of Walmart and walked in, yeah, I, that's it's, it's, maybe not even. Maybe not even. Right. I, I mean, so it, 120 feet. It's nothing. No. So John, Gina's father, again, had fallen asleep on the couch watching TV that evening, and waking up on the 29th, the next morning, he went to each of his daughter daughter's rooms. Uh, Jennifer, 13, was in her room as was the oldest daughter, Jessica, at the age of 15. Gina was not in hers. 
And assuming at that point that Gina had just stayed with one of the friends that she was rollerblading with, it wasn't until a little bit later that he told Gina's mother, Sue, that Gina wasn't in her room that morning. So calling around to friends and neighbors, she was nowhere to be found, right? And again, this is 93. It's, it's yeah, it's Fargo. It's our largest city in North Dakota, but still a small town, right? Nothing, Qualifies, you know. It's got a small town feel. Yeah, nothing... Yeah. Nothing goes wrong there. So, you know, the fact that she didn't come home or, you know, maybe just stayed with her buddy, it wasn't out of the question. So they scoured the neighborhood. They knocked on doors, uh, even chatted with the neighbor who had talked to the girls the night before, the one who was uh, fixing his pickup. Oh, sure. So that neighbor was Kyle Bell. Still not finding her, they finally called the police. Can you, just from a parent's perspective, can you imagine... The guilt. Uh, uh, it's 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 a it's a frantic feeling. Even hearing it, even knowing as as you're you're unfolding this, and it's like oh, the dad falls asleep. It's just my heart sunk immediately. It, absolutely, because you you just know you know it's not going anywhere great. And there's so many little rules I've I've had in place with with my daughter, especially. Um, she has a friend that lives within eyesight of me uh, of us comes over and I've never I've never not stood on my on my porch while that kid walked home uh likewise with uh with with her parents and when Taylana walks home and and just never never walk home alone in any of these situations right. like wherever your surroundings there's there's just these these built-in precautions that I've that I've taught my kids and it's just a, maybe it's a different time I don't know if we're more vigilant things were more laid back back then but yeah I, I, I'm frantic um, my daughter got grounded because she left without asking for permission you know right. like you 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 need permission if you're gonna go anywhere well and I and I want to come back to what you said there because that's gonna I I feel like we have to talk about that as parents and just uh, awareness. But um, yeah. after after calling police, uh, who at that time assumed Gina just maybe ran away, um, they held a press conference. And Gina's parents disagreed. And John even said at the, at the presser, my theory is that she's been abducted. So volunteers passed out 25,000 flyers with hardly any clues surfacing. So 25,000 flyers. That's how, how quickly? Like, mm-hmm. is this next day stuff? Is this like that week? This is that week. That week. Yeah, that I week. mean, they're frantic. Parents know. Like, there's, there's. My daughter is freaking eleven. Right. She didn't run away. She didn't run I'm away. Sorry. This, and she was a good kid. I mean, not that, not that bad kids run away. That's not what I mean. But it was a seemingly good home. They didn't. There didn't seem to be any issues or any. There wasn't a lot of turbulence in the house. Yeah. That, yeah. That would, that would be typical, perhaps. Um, stereotypical of somebody who is running away. Thank you for saying that appropriately. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, so somehow, and not too long after the the abduction, Bell struck a chord with investigators, but there wasn't much. The neighbor, so, the Kyle neighbor, Bell. Kyle Bell. So let me let me tell you. A He's little the last bit about person Kyle. to see them, I guess. Besides her, besides. Well, there's the there's the store clerk, I guess, and the parents, but yeah, yeah, and the and the friend. He's 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 a, he's a relevant figure, clearly, very much so. So Kyle at the time was uh, 25 years old. So most likely... This is... He's 25. He's 25. Oh, he's young. He's young. Wow. He's young. I When I did the math, I'm like, wait a minute. He's he's only 25. So he's a, he's a young, young dude uh, fixing his pickup, chatting with the girls. So what I can come up with for, for Kyle, and there's not a whole lot, uh, most likely came from a broken home, which I absolutely hate to call a divorced family a broken home. Nothing pisses me off more, but most likely a troubled, broken home. So sure. in, in the sense of, uh, you know, his his aunt and grandma sought mental health counseling for him when he was just three years old. So not a solid mm. home life, it it's sounds. Not, it's not a good start. It doesn't sound like a good no, start. No, And And I mean, needing mental health counseling at three years at old. Three. What what trauma what, have what you trauma? faced exactly. at, at age three where, exactly. where someone in your family feels like you need... To see, you need you need counseling. You need counseling at three years old. Oh. So later later on in adulthood, uh, he ended up having five children, four with three ex wives and one with an ex partner. So looking into his criminal history, wasn't the most upstanding citizen. So by twenty five, he had that many kids. Yeah. Yeah. What? I mean, I mean, unless I made did the math wrong. No. Hey. No. Yeah. I. I, I would. That's. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna look. You look. That, you look that up while I uh, while I keep chatting about Kyle. So 
1988, just five years before Gina went missing, Bell was convicted in Aberdeen, South Dakota, of sexual contact with a minor. Very, very limited details on this case, but the charges say a lot of it. Uh, He was sentenced to two years in prison with four years supervised probation. Jonah, would you give me a guess on how long you think he served? Uh, Two months. Ten fucking weeks. Uh, Gross. Yeah. Ten weeks. Of course. He again, was sentenced to two years in prison with four years supervised probation, and he was given 10 weeks. So after his release, he came back to North Dakota where he and family here. And, you know, so even with all of that information, there just wasn't much for police to push Bell on, uh, you know, at, at that point. They, they don't have any hard evidence. No, They've got a lot nothing. of speculation. Yep. You, you, don't, you don't like this guy. But, but you it's can't what, arrest somebody for not liking him. What does the evidence yeah. have? And exactly. They have, and and I, I, we're probably looking at a time when he's, of course, he's not a sex offender. There's no registration at this time. Uh, do they even know about his previous record? I suppose that makes him a suspicion. I mean, you know, it's all these questions. Right. Yeah, exactly. And there was, yeah, it, oh, it was just, it's it's infuriating. So uh, later on that summer, you know, it, it continues. Uh, it was pretty rainy. And, uh, and what's common in the Red River Valley, which Fargo is a part of, uh, basements had some water, especially with about 10 inches in such a short time frame in mid-July. So this is just a couple of weeks, you know, after, um, after she's disappeared. Several weeks already. Yeah. So not hopeful at this point, you know. So Mary um, Hogland, a resident near West Fargo, had cleaned up her basement of water and had gone to, to the church, to her church, to help there as well. On our way home... In the middle of the bridge that's over the Cheyenne River, that's what she's got to pass to go home, she saw a black pickup and a man standing next to it, just watching the river, just leaning over the thing, watching the river. So, you know, she kind of piques her interest, or he piques her interest, and a short while later, about 20-ish minutes or so, she saw the same man near her home on her father-in-law's property, which is adjacent to hers. So she goes up to him, you know, she's a friendly neighbor. And asked him, you know, if he needed anything. And he said that he'd run out of gas. And so being that friendly neighbor type, gave him a gasoline-filled five-gallon can. So he was filling his tank and gas spilled out. So she thought that was odd because if it was if it was empty, if he'd ran out of gas, yeah. why, was, would, why would gas spill out? Yeah, it's odd for sure. So things are just stacking up in her, in her mind, right? She's getting awfully suspicious. Very, very. So, and then when she when he went to start his pickup, it started right up. Not, so if not you, like a vehicle that ran out of gas, right, that's for damn sure. Right, exactly. So this is something that I can't figure out. And in all of my um, research, I, I can't figure out why he gave Hogland his name and phone number. I, I, there's no rhyme or reason. Because so, he's that confident that he's just not going to get busted. I guess, yeah. I, I mean, you know, and what's he doing there at that? This because this is after this is days. This is, she's already seen him. Yeah, you know, at the the river and everything. He was born in 1967. He was 25 at the time. Okay, perfect. So I wanted to make sure. Wow. But, uh, so, but thank goodness for whatever reason he gave he gave her his information. Sure. Thank thank goodness he did, because who do you think this guy was? Who was a sketchy fella? Oh, it's it's Kyle fucking Kyle Bell. Bell. Yeah. So as Midwesterners. You know, we will flash our lights at you to tell you that there's a cop up ahead. We say sorry a lot. You know, we say, oh, oh, I didn't mean, see you there. Oh, sorry. Let me, yeah. s- let me squeeze by you. But if you're sketchy, we are going to be nosy. We yeah, are going to dig sure. into it. Yeah. So Hogland did, <laughs> did the right thing. And uh, and she she called law enforcement who then um, had enough probable cause to search the river, you know, just because something, you know, putting it together that, that Gina had been missing. Something's just not adding up. They, you know? they already kind of had their eye on him. Right. They already were suspicious of him. Now now there's a report that he's hanging out over a bridge and there's a missing kid. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's enough for them to say, well, let's let's take a look in the river. Absolutely. Okay. Nothing turned she up didn't, She didn't see him putting she anything in the nope, river. Nope, nothing. He was just looking at the river leaning over. Yeah. So they, they, they scoped out the river. But good for her. I mean, nothing. for... You said nothing? They nothing. didn't find anything Nothing, nothing turned up. Jesus. Yeah. So police also then followed up with Sketchy Gas Dude who then Kyle, which who that was, Kyle allowed officers to search his pickup for some evidence. It, it just, he was like, absolutely. Because again, he's confident 
you know, that nothing's going to turn he, up. He's, he, yeah, clearly. So they realize that he is the neighbor of Gina at this point, and they're kind of putting it together. So they, they're asking him if he knew her and if if she had ever been in his pickup. And of course, Bell told police that Gina had never been in his pickup. But then as soon as they started looking around for fibers and hairs, they were just about to vacuum the the his vehicle. He then changed his story and said, oh, well, I have given Gina and her friend a ride from Dairy Queen before. But hmm. he just, his reasoning of why is he just didn't think it was important to share that information. Well, so, I mean, already this guy is just raising questions, you know? No, he, he is. And I, I just wonder, like, did, did her parents know that this guy had given her a ride, given her a ride from Dairy Queen at some point? I, you know, again, I know it's different times, Don, but I'm just looking like I'm so on top of kind of like grilling my kids. Okay. Where, where are you, you going? Go? Where are you what going? You, mm-hmm. All these, all these things, and I guess maybe she, maybe you know, maybe yes, certainly. If my daughter leaves, and and if she were to have gotten a ride, and so she could lie to me, and I wouldn't know that I was lied to. You know what I mean? But I, I think it's, I think it's cases like these that have made us as parents ask them, yeah. ask those questions. Oh, for sure. So detectives then uh, interview Bell and Detective Ledoux with um, in Fargo. He pushed. And pushed, laid out, you know, different potential potential scenarios, talked about different cases. And what Bell's response was, you had bodies in those cases, though. Isn't that right? Oh, wow. Yeah. So he he is just kind of pushing back then. He kept, and, and Ledoux, he kept there's at a, him. There's a boldness there. Yeah, very. Yeah. And an and a arrogance, yeah. for sure. So if you can't catch me. So he, Detective Ledoux just kept at him, uh, but he was not talking at this point. And at that point, I mean, they didn't have anything to go on. There's nothing you can do. Right. So three months, it's three months after Gina's disappearance and they had to start putting the brakes on the search. Nothing's turning up. And and they had, even prior to uh, looking at Bell, I mean, they had turned over like and and considered hundreds. Uh, Yeah. So many. Hundreds of tips. So many. Well, and at that point, after about three months, you know, hardly any leads popped up at that at that time, um, you know, a, a few did, and that of course they they looked into it's, and it's it's pushing into cold case territory real right, quick, right? I mean, there's a missing child, you know, and you've got uh, no murder weapon, you you don't have like a strong motive against anybody, and you don't have right, a body. Like right. it's so hard. There's just there's no evidence to substantiate anything. No, um, there. I mean, just hardly anything turned up. I mean, so what do they what do they do? So even if they do know he's a sex offender from a previous state. You can't, you, that's not enough to go off of. No, it's enough to be suspicious. You can be suspicious and you can think it all day long, but it's never going to hold up. So, I mean, that they're not even going to charge at that point because that's not how it works. You can't, you can't charge somebody just because they have a different charge in another city. I mean, no. it's, yeah. you know, it's just not how it works. No. Um, so fast forward to February, 1994, Bell was arrested for four counts of gross sexual imposition. It's about a year later. Um, well, yeah, nine months, yeah. nine months-ish. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so gross sexual imposition, four counts of that, which is also called GSI, which is how I'll refer to it from here, um, for two female victims, ages eight and three. Jesus. Gross. And also two counts of using a minor in a sexual performance. All six of those charges were class B felonies. And he's, this is... Less than a year later, he's convicted of that? He was charged at that he point. Was he was charged. Okay, it. he was arrested mm-hmm. and charged. Yep, yep. So the eight-year-old um, was his daughter, and the other victim was his neighbor's daughter, the three-year-old. <sighs> he has sexual contact with both children and masturbated on the buttocks of the three-year-old. Some of the evidence found by police in Bell's home were pictures of the children in different stages of undressing, as well as sexually suggestive positions. Both girls were forced to wear a promiscuous outfit, um, which I, I believe it was like a pink fishnet sh- top and a mini skirt, a black mini skirt, um, and obviously didn't belong to either child. This is all found in his house. Yep. So part of what linked him to those crimes in the fo- and what they found in the photographs, where you could actually see his watch and his ring. Wow. So luckily, um, they had that. Um, that was to enough to know for sure. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. So. This is so, where, and this is, this is where I have an issue to, you know, cause. But he I, wasn't just like, he, he wasn't being investigated for that concurrent with him being a suspect. No, in, completely separate. Wow. It was a completely so separate it, case. Yeah. So 
his wife or the mother of one of these children must have brought it brought it in and and then these poor kids had to go through mm-hmm. you know the, the probably the rape kit examination and yeah. some things like that and it was then that was enough for them to get probable cause to get oh, yeah. a warrant to yep. search his house yep well and, and at that s- point i mean if even if they have and of course this is just me i have no idea how the actual case went down you know but if even if there's a a you know, the eight-year-old could say something, but even if there's a report of abuse, I mean, there's going to be, you know, if you can describe, you know, a couple of sure. different things, there's going to be enough probable cause to to search at least, you know, I mean, so clearly they, they did have that. Uh, so he was given a bond of $20,000 mm. for those six B felony charges. Seems light. A little bit because uh, he posted it all in cash. So clearly he could have gone for more. So when a person posts I'm bail, I'm curious where a twenty-five-year-old has twenty thousand dollars, <laughs> and it, you know, you you're being. I'm thirty-six. I don't have twenty thousand dollars. I mean, I don't know how that bond system works, or if he had a, a rich family member or whatever. But even if, like, that's crazy. And it's all in cash. Yeah, exactly. All in that's cash. I mean, in cash. Like, someone, yeah. someone came to back him up, or he did it himself. I mean, because, you know, because at that point, when a, when a person posts bail, that means you're sending a promise to appear to show up in court, sure, of right? Course. Well, guess who didn't make his court appearance? Kyle Bell. Kyle Bell. Of course he didn't. So this is, this is where um, this just infuriates me. It wasn't until this time that he was arrested on those charges that the North family, who lived just down the street, was first notified that their old neighbor, the one that had been suspected... Mm-hmm of abducting Gina, their daughter, that's when they found out that he was a sex offender. Right. It wasn't until that time, almost nine months later. Yeah. After they suspect him, which means he, he had been living in their neighborhood for a the long time. The entire time. time. You, you had a predator among your friends and family and your, your, your daughters and your children for, right. for an extended period of time. There was a literal, actual predator among you. Yes. Yeah. So... About four months after uh, Kyle Bell posted bond in Colorado, a police officer saw a pickup with North Dakota plates at a gas station and was just decided to do a little checking. It just, it looked like, you know, they they obviously were like, what the hell is this guy doing here in Colorado? Sure. And back to North Dakota, Bell went. So he was arrested and extradited. The cop had a hunch, saw him, ran, ran it, got him. Yep. Nice work to that nice, officer. I know. High, they, high five. Seriously, nice, nice work to that officer. Well, and 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 Bell even tried to fight his extradition. It's like, well, really, God, you are so stupid. Anyway, so he back to North Dakota. He is. So while facing the charges for the two child victims, uh, police interviewed Bell a few times about Gina, and at that time he said, uh, when asked if he knew where she was, "I wish I did, but I don't." Hmm. In a plea agreement, Bell pleaded guilty to two counts of GSI charges and two counts of use of a minor in a sexual performance. On January 24th, 1995, the Norths attended his sentencing hearing, and Sue, Gina's mother, yelled bastard and tried to climb over the three-foot barrier between her seat and Bell, and then had to be restrained by deputies. I wish she would have got him. It just, when I first read that, it just hurts my heart. I'm, it, it's got me in tears just thinking of being that parent in that scenario and right, right there because I, that's, I, that's what I do. I, I can't imagine, you know, We're, we, we are too light on these, on these predators in this world right now. Um, I, this, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sad. Uh, at the hearing, the prosecuting attorney said the evidence tells us something different that this is what the defendant does. He searches out victims. He grooms victims. He is a predator. His prey are children, and there are communities' children. And our children demand that they be protected from him. The parents of our children demand that they be protected from him. So with for those charges, Bell was sentenced to 10 years each for both of the GSI charges that he pled guilty to. And then one of the charges of a use of a minor in a sexual performance. So we got 30 years there and then uh, plus five years of supervised probation for that fourth charge. And when the judge read the sentencing, his reaction completely stone-faced. There's nothing. 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 
So after Bell was sentenced on those charges, detectives wanted to get in front of Bell again to see if he, if he would talk. An investigator told Bell that he would recommend a lighter sentence to run concurrently with his most recent sentence. After being reminded that the statute of limitations never goes away to murder charge, of course, Bell was eager to spill everything. So the interviews commenced over a few hours, you know, for a couple of days, and Bell claimed that Gina initiated a sexual encounter with Bell, the 11-year-old. Since that is completely normal and acceptable with a child, of course he said yes. And Gina threatened to tell her parents, so Bell backhanded her. These are his words. Remember, and remember um, how she had left her shoes at her at her friend's house? She left on her rollerblades. She was still in her rollerblades. And so when he hit her, she fell backwards and hit her head. And so I have just one quick thought here of... If she threatened to tell her parents, uh, how would that be her suggestion? Uh, it, you know, it, it, you're it, such a. You, you you, just, you, he's sick. Very. He, he, he's 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 absolutely sick and disgusting. Yeah, but nice and, try. And, and oh oh yeah, well, I was just standing outside, and this eleven year old uh, pick tried to pick up on me, man. So yeah. uh, I did what any normal person would do and brought her in the garage. No, right. you sick freak. So she fucking monster. He is a monster. She she must have hit her head hard enough uh, when he after he'd hit her when she fell uh, to have been knocked unconscious because he then placed her lifeless body into his pickup and then drove to a bridge on the Cheyenne River. Using a concrete block and some rope that he had in his pickup, he folded Gina. These are his words, like a jackknife, and then dropped her in the river. Mm. So after, like I said, after a few hours of of interviews and he even took a polygraph test um, during a, during a break, Bell said to detective Ledoux, it was an accident, Jim shit happens. So Bell's confession came in 1995 and he wouldn't go to trial until August of 1999. So that's that, that confession is two years after yes. Gina's disappearance, disappearance and he wouldn't go to trial until four years later for 1999. 1999 He's now on trial for the murder um, and kidnapping of, of, of Gina. Gina. Okay, yeah. and it was he was charged with murder. Uh, was was the ultimate the ultimate charge? It it took four years to take this case all the way to trial because of it, they just kept coming up roadblock after roadblock. So they ended up searching fourteen times. They it, they searched the river fourteen different times. This is search, dive, and rescue teams. Mm-hmm. Fourteen. Fourteen times, and Gina's body was not found. So they did numerous tests, even, and this is going to sound harsh the way I say this, and I, I certainly mean it with the utmost respect. They even dropped a, a, a pig that was similar in size to Gina, which was about 55 pounds. They dropped it in the river to see, you know, where the current would take it, where the river would take it. They, they tried to simulate right, where her body might have going. been. And so then they also um, dropped numerous pairs of, or numerous rollerblades to see how the river would carry those as well. Sure. You know, and nothing was ever found. None of them were ever found. What divers did find were sinkholes all over, some that were even 10 feet deep. Ugh. So also what they found in the, uh, in the river was a concrete block and rope that was consistent, according to the FBI lab, uh, with blocks and rope that were found at Kyle, at Kyle Bell's home. So we, ha- we have one fragment of evidence, a, a tiny piece of evidence they well, did find. That's just crazy. You can't, f- you, you can't find a body and, and you can't find the rollerblades. And I don't fault them because that, right, this because is not an easy... Because if you're dealing with a sinkhole, I mean... You're, you're dealing with sinkholes and a muddy, dirty river. This isn't right. This isn't the pristine, clear blue, no, freaking ocean waters. Louise. No, like, no this is, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. So the... the you're, not, you're not at the beaches on Ibiza here no, with clear waters. No. This, is a, this is a muddy river. Well, so finding... The concrete block and rope that were consistent, uh, the prosecuting attorney chose not to use them as evidence, fearing that they, that that would weaken their case against Bell. He didn't that, want they didn't want to give the defense any reason to to poke a hole in right. whatever this was. Wow. Yeah. So one of the biggest blows that the case took was that the judge threw out Bell's confession because it was illegally obtained. <sighs> Remember when the detective said that he would recommend a lighter yeah, sentence or to run That's concurrently? Like some sort of coercion or... You can't do that like, as a detective. You yeah. can't do that as law enforcement. So his comment... And this, 
was this at a time? I, I'm sorry, Tinder, but this no, you're good. was this at a time? I know that there was a time when interrogations did not were not required to be re- recorded. Well, who, I mean, it's '93, so yeah. They, I mean, at that time they were probably 95. were just a or yeah, 90, yeah well, '95 yeah. and then, but when he was given the confession, yeah, I because well, a, a big reason if if they can get if they can get a, a confession when it's not totally recorded coerced and and if it's not uh, recorded in audio or video or whatever um certainly as as the investigating officer or the person conducting the interview it it, it grants you some um, leniency probably in the tactics that you can deploy to obtain and that's why the laws were changed and i don't know when but that's why it was changed so that these kinds of things have to be recorded. Well, and, and now, I mean, taking it all the way to, you know, body cam footage and, yeah. and everything. I mean, it's it's just the world that we are, we are in now. So his so. His, his testimony is Gone. thrown out. His, well, his confession. Or his confession, yeah. excuse me. But his comment uh, when he said, you know, that it was an accident and that shit happens was allowed. So the confession wasn't, but anything, all of his comments that were The remark afterward. afterward. That was. In, that's that's so fucking weird. It's, our it's our weird. justice How, system is so weird. That's I, so weird. I'm sorry. Yeah. So no, weird. it is. It's odd. I mean, for sure. But thankfully, it worked. I mean, so a helpful testimony was given by Gina's friend, the one that she was rollerblading with on the okay. night of her disappearance. Earlier in the summer, the two friends had visited Belle over a dozen times in two or three days. So a lot. Oh. Her friend also testified that Gina had a nickname for Belle and that it was Seaman. What? Yeah. Well, she where, never And she never explained it. So it was clear to investigators at this point that Bell had been grooming Gina for some time. Oh so yes, God. so absolutely. When we're when we're telling our children to to be aware of our surroundings, watching them walk from you know door to door, also look for you know the it, tactics of grooming because G- this you know this guy has given her a, a ride. This guy is you know he's got a nickname. Something's not okay. They knew each other. They knew each other so and because it, it's because he it's was part more of that, than just a neighbor. They waved to right, like according right. to this testimony, yes. which is obvious. Six years later, that would mean that would mean this girl is nineteen, twenty. Well, oh, well, if they were eleven, oh, right? No, ninety nine. Ninety nine. Yeah, I was. Yeah, so you're talking six, years. six six years later. She's right. seventeen, eighteen years old. Yep, yep. At that point, giving a testimony. Uh, my my question is. Where was this information in the beginning? When, when you know, six years ago, why wasn't this this kid? I I don't get it, and, and maybe there's more to the case that we don't know about. But that that part just is really shocking to me that that in 1993, in the days and weeks following the disappearance of your friend, uh, that you don't come forward with this information about hey, oh yeah, by the way, our our, our neighbor guy. Not weird. He's, he's our cool, the cool twenty-five-year-old neighbor dude. Well, but that's, he hooks us up with ice cream and gives us ride, and and Jin has a nickname for him. But that's, I think, that's the timing. You know, you look in nineteen ninety-three. Gosh, I don't know. Right? I mean, you just in, in that time, grooming wasn't a thing, or wasn't discussed. No, you know, it, it, I yeah, mean, it, so it, abuse was not. No, it wasn't. It wasn't but, talked about, you know. So I, I don't know because I, I do believe from what I can, what I can find in the, um, you know, in the court documents that I was able to look at, it does sound like Gina's friend did bring that up. But why, you know, we weren't dealing with um, child trafficking at the time. We weren't dealing. It's 1993. You know, this is. I mean, we were dealing it, with it. It wasn't. We were dealing with it. We just. Yeah. We just weren't dealing with it. We, you know, yeah, it's, it was just a very different time. Awareness. Right. But yeah, it, it, it's just. It's a point of curiosity, I guess. Like you've For got, sure. you've got I agree. Yeah. Uh, and again, I mean, even with that interview, I suppose that still would not would not have been enough to do anything beyond what they already did. They brought this guy Most in for questioning. Mm-hmm. They 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 re- they investigated his vehicle. I mean, they they it seems like they they had pushed all their legal options in investigating him. Yeah. It just and I and I hope the family feels that way too. I mean, because that's that's what it seems like. And and you know. Um, no, I mean, I don't know if anything will ever be enough if no, you're the family no, in this situation. It, it, it's so tough. But but so her testimony as a witness, yeah, so obviously pretty crucial. Big time. Because that, so that condemning testimony that she gave, uh, there was enough circumstantial evidence. And then Bell's own words, they were enough to convict. He was given a life sentence that was to start in 2019 after the time for the 1994 GSR char- GSI charges were served. So off to prison, Bell goes, right? 
Yeah, he ain't. He ain't getting. No, he ain't going he's anywhere. not. He That's won't it. see the light of day. No, um, and, he, and he shouldn't. Well, he tried. So he Ooh. goes to he goes to prison, and I don't know what it is with me with me picking people who escape. But Bell was transferred to a supermax prison in Oregon to serve his sentence using a private transport company called Transcor. There were a total of thirty prisoners and four transport guards on this bus. From what I can what I can add up. Okay. They stop for it seems gas. Like a, it seems like a tough ratio to manage. A little bit. A little bit. So they stop in uh, New Mexico for gas. So geographically speaking, we are in North Dakota, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. New Mexico is down southwest. Yeah. And Oregon is in, the, in the Pacific Northwest. I, I mean, I so mean, how, do you, how do you get there? Well, because they've got 30 prisoners... They, I mean, how big of a safety issue is this? I mean, good massive, grief. massive sa- safety issue, and I guarantee that bus company had a fat government contract to be able to do that. Yes. It sounds like they're using an independent company. It's a third it's, party it's company, so a tra- big yeah, ass it's a government private, contract, it's a private transport, pension, mm-hmm. pension money, pension dollars. Yeah, I mean, thirty, thirty to four. Well, so and, they, and, and you're and you're 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 circumnavigating the country to deliver them. And, and we're talking about violent offenders. I, I mean, if they're being moved to a supermax penitentiary, these, these are they the didn't worst write a bad the worst. check. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so they stopped for gas in New Mexico. One of the guards was filling up. Another was inside the gas station and two were asleep on the bus. Wow. So you got one in the shitter, one filling up gas and two on a snooze. Two sleeping. Yeah. Bell then shimmies a handcuff key from the sole of his shoe that obviously was missed during the strip search. And unlocks his ankle restraints and his handcuffs. Holy and then shit. escaped so he, out of the ventilation hatch. He had somehow gotten a key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a number it. one question. How the hell did you find How, a key Where did you one? find the key? That, I mean, that's smooth. And then I'm who, sorry. And where, then where? Who the hell didn't search his shoes was for it, another one? Was he a pickpocket too? I have no idea. And then, but, yeah. but, wow. So he, he gets so out. He jumps out of the ventilation hatch at the top of the bus and jumped onto the roof of the bus. And then when, that, when it pulled away, he jumped down. It took them nine hours to discover that he was missing. Holy nine shit. Nine hours. So typically, typically in, in a you know, in, in jails and stuff, it's <laughs> it's a check once an hour. You yeah. know, county jail is once an hour. Sure. Nine hours? On a bus. On a bus. To notice it's that, well, that because where your, could they go? We, you're thinking yeah. Oh, so we got thirty people, they're all in handcuffs. Bell was, nothing to worry about. Yeah, it's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Bell was captured 88 day, days later in Dallas. Jesus, three months he was on three the lam. Three months. Yep. He was living in an apartment with a woman and her four young children. Oh, Jesus. So here's my Criminy. question. And I don't want to judge this woman without knowing, but who brings home someone to live with her and her four children? A crackhead. I don't after know. After 88 days. I don't know. that. <laughs> 88 days? I can't even get a date. How long? I mean, how long? How long he, does it take him to work his way in there? I have no idea. I mean, ugh, what's but, he smell like and look like and wearing at that point? You know ugh, what? What I'm gosh. just I'm imagining you're 88 days on the lamb and you're 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 escaping in. Uh, well, where did you find him? Where, I mean, they were in New Mexico, and this is Dallas. So, thankfully, there was no suspected abuse. Um, I also want to point out that Transcor is still in business and their tagline is providing excellence in prisoner transportation since 1990, which I think they might be wrong on. Um, so is that like the, the accident free for zero days? Like, you know, the OSHA signs, like accident free for right. you know, 13 days. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know. I could talk about them all damn day. But um, so at that point, then Bell was transferred to a Colorado pen- penitentiary. The super, they have a super mm-hmm. max They have there. a super, yeah. yep. So I... I'd like to say that this is the end of Kyle Bell, but it's not. Just give this family, all of the families, some peace. He has been in and out of court since conviction, or since his conviction, asking to asking to either be able to withdraw his guilty pleas or be resentenced for the 1994 charges with the two child victims, one of which being his own child. Yeah. And one of his reasons being is that the prosecution caused prejudice by um, inflammatory remarks. So the, the, the quote that I read from the, right. the prosecutor attorney when he said, you know, that, you know, these are our children, these are our community's children, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Apparently that's what he, he felt was um, causing pre- prejudice. He also, there was also some bullshit um, uh, claim, you know, because uh, it was his child and all this stuff. Like, who, what are you doing? So that one um, went to the North Dakota Supreme Court and it was denied each time. 
Then in 2000, Bell appealed his conviction in Gina's case, and it was dismissed. He argued that the appeal dismissal violated his rights because the appeal in question was denied because he had escaped, and it refers to the fugitive dismissal rule, which can be researched across the, oh, wow. the country back to 1897. That has not stopped him in 2008, which I want to say is about the last time that he's been um, uh, in the court system. Uh, Bell claimed that he was moved to the Colorado Penitentiary for retaliatory reasons. That was also thrown out because he's a flight risk and needs to be segregated from other inmates because of his charges. Because of because he's a, a flight risk, you know, the state pen can't accommodate him. He's a flight him. risk and he's a chomo, it, and right. chomos get stabbed in prison. That's well, not made up. That, no, that really happens. Well, it does needs, not go well for them. He needs to be segregated from other inmates. Yeah. Like that's, that's, for, for, for he's, his a, own he's a high safe, risk inmate. Yeah. Yep. So he most recently, then in, in 2010, was moved to a prison near Tucson, Arizona. So I am, I am all for inmates fighting for their rights. I mean, how many wrongful convictions have there been? And clearly there are times that our system does not get it right. Oh, plenty of times. There's, way and, way and there's, too many times. And there's no excuse way for that. Way too many You know, times. that is where our system is broken. This guy, though, this disgusting human being tried to get all of his sentences overturned on nothing but technicalities. Not once did he say he wasn't guilty. No. Not once. No. And so I'm done talking about him. I'm done. Uh, Gina's body was never found. Kyle Kenneth Bell's conviction in this case is believed to be the first murder conviction in North Dakota without the victim's body. Wow. And this one little girl changed so much. As her sister Jennifer said, she didn't die in vain, I don't believe. She changed the world. And I have to agree because just from this case, um, so much good has has come from it, um, unfortunately. I mean, she she gave her life for these changes, so North Dakota and Minnesota stiffened the requirements for the sex offender registries. In 1995, the North Dakota legislature passed a law that requires convicted sex offenders to register with law enforcement. And if they don't, it's a failure to comply, which comes with more charges at that point. There was a law that was previously passed in 91 that just required sex offenders to register themselves. Mm. You know, so it was there. It just was really soft. flawed and on the honor system. Yeah. Bell's appeal that was dismissed using the fugitive dismissal rule was also the first time that it was adopted in North Dakota. So, if you escape, it your appeal is Your done. appeal don't mean shit. Basically. And in 2004, former North Dakota Senator Byron Dorgan introduced a bill for a national sex offender registry, which we will talk about in detail in another episode. Um, and Gina's case led to provisions in that law as well. Also introduced by Dorgan, Congress voted to tighten requirements of private prisoner transport companies to include background checks, Restrictions on worked hours, minimum requirements for inmate restraints, you know, a few great things like that. And most likely one of the biggest impacts that Gina had um, is for parents and kid caregivers and children. And this case for me was one that changed my life. I was visiting family in Pelican Rabbits, Rapids, well, not far from uh, Fargo, when Gina North was abducted. And I will never forget watching the news and the coverage of the search. I'll never forget it. And, and I mean, this case certainly changed my childhood and, and likely many others who didn't know Gina as well. And so now we're parents, caregivers, aunts, uncles, you know, and we, we can't let our guard down. So I think that is why it's because of cases like these that really change, um, have changed the way we parent, have changed uh, just how we are with our kids, like what we allow them to do, everything. I mean, it's, Yeah. Just in, in, in how we prepare our kids for the world and at what point mm -hmm. um, is it appropriate to, to have conversations and, and really to communicate to your children what to do in a moment of crisis right. Uh, right. and what to avoid. And, and um, tragically, in, in this case, it, it sounds like Kyle was planning this for some time and perhaps as, as he would say, since she slipped and, and hit her head, it got him spooked. Um, you know, there's a chance if she's there in her shoes, perhaps this goes on, perhaps she gets away. Right. But it wasn't, it, it, it's so manipulative. Mm -hmm. It's not one of these situations where your kid is kidnapped um, in broad daylight, no. where they have a chance to go down kicking and screaming. Right. There, There was seemingly an interaction occurring between her and 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 this man he was building that trust he yeah. was grooming which yes. is it's, he's building that trust building the trust with her and in a lot of cases grooming it's it's building the trust with parents you know it's it's 
you know, so as parents, as caregivers, as aunts, uncles, if you have small children in your life, well, when it comes down to just it, yeah. be aware of those, be aware of what that, of what those mean and what steps you can take to a, a, avoid that. In you know. so many of these situations, your child is not kidnapped by a stranger. No. First, I, I want to say, like, and forgive me, but there, the, a very high percentage, in fact, is from a family member. It, it's, I want to say, in just some brief research that I did today, it's like 80 to 90%, which might be a little high, sure. but still. is by a family member. Yeah, the, or someone they, they know. Or someone they know. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're talking, eight, worst case, what, right. eight out of 10 of these, it's someone that they are associated with, again, a direct family member or someone that they know. So it's uh, just, again, being aware of, of Be vigilant. Who, who your kids are talking to and, yeah. and being vigilant and having these conversations with them. Right. And, and Report and, them to authorities. Tell your kids that, you know, it's not okay. You know, it's, you know, and, and for the love of Pete, you know, maybe, you know, teach, teach your kids that, um, you know, teach your, teach your sons to respect, uh, teach your daughters to respect, you know, consent is a beautiful thing, you know, those types of things. And, and I mean, this is obviously some mental health issue as well, you know, but it's, um, just be aware, just be, be woke. Uh, so sources for today's episode, ND courts, Fargo forum, Grand Forks, Herald, Bismarck Tribune. This one was a tough one. This is Midwest murder folks, uh, also sponsored and brought to you by Nomad Design House, a really talented graphic design company who works with us here at the Good Talk Network. If you are in need of graphic design or logos of, of any sort, definitely give a, um, give, give them a call, find them on Instagram, find them on Facebook. Uh, also shout out to author of, uh, Wilder Intentions, CJ Wynn, for, uh, her contributions in, in writing the intro to our show. And finally, this is Midwest Murder. You can find us wherever podcasts can be downloaded. Just look for the Good Talk Network and then find Midwest Murder underneath the Good Talk Network banner. We'll be here with a new episode every other Monday. Bye.